swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Welcome to Movie Mistrial. The podcast where we investigate the truthfulness of movies, including in the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. My name is Johannes. And I am Raji. <laughs> Today we're talking about another film on that list. A movie banned in France because it was incontestably offensive to France, its judicial system, and its army. This movie is Paths of Glory. Paths of Glory was released on October 25th, 1957. It was snubbed in the Oscars, but got a nomination from the BAFTAs, who probably wanted to get one in on France. A strong snub from the Academy, but does this film deserve a better trial? So yeah, it's up to us, given time, to explore if this movie deserved better than it got. Well, in a few words, uh, can you describe what makes you... What makes you happy today? Um, what makes me happy? What makes me happy? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think that it's been a happy week in general. I think it's just been a relatively mellow week. Uh, the things that I thought were going to make me happy uh, didn't do so. Uh, so I feel relatively okay. Relatively okay. I'm just happy huh. in life. How about you? Um, two words. Taylor Swift. <laughs> okay. No, I, 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 I keep joking, but I mean, I, I slowly get into the whole, the whole thing, and it's 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 kind of fun. Uh, it, it's kind of wild. I can appreciate the musicianship. I can appreciate the uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial hustle of that woman. Um, mm -hmm. Like. I think it's brilliant that she's re-recording all her albums so that her scummy, scummy uh, ex-manager doesn't get any revenue from the one from the rights that he bought. Like that's oh, a shit. great just f you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean the the Eras tour is 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 wild. It's it's quite. Did you go amazing. for the tour? No, um, I, I may go okay. next year in Europe. Maybe we'll see. We'll see, um, but uh, I mean everything around it is is just crazy and record breaking. So I, I appreciate that. I can appreciate all around everything she's accomplishing. So uh, and she has some really good songs. So there we are. Nice. All right. Well, I uh, I think that the amount of people that are appreciating Taylor Swift is growing exponentially, and it's beginning to surround me. Um. <laughs> it's wild. I mean, it's yeah, the 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 u.s tour what like had had a revenue of over a billion like that's crazy that's crazy mm. for a live performance right mm. like uh yeah and everything i've seen from it is I mean, it's a three and a half hour long show and she's she's pretty much doing it all straight through it's pretty impressive does she invite people on stage is she the only one singing throughout the whole song the whole uh the whole does she have like people she's touring with or is she doing this all by herself no I mean, she has a band and all that and dancers right but uh she has support acts and then yeah it's it's fascinating it's it's so interesting that she she does this thing this eras tour where she plays from every album a couple songs mm. so it's truly kind of a, oh, a look at her full that's portfolio what the, of music so that's what the yeah. eras mean okay right yeah. You know, I never actually cared. <laughs> and and well, that's, now that's that I know valid, the errors. Right? 
Yeah. But f- <laughs> from from a concept perspective, brilliant. Mm. Right? And and you will yeah. see, I guarantee, you will see a lot of bands that have a long back catalog will kind of try to attempt something like this in the in the future. Like where where a lot of bands kind of jump on that uh, we'll play an album in its entirety because it's the anniversary of that album kind of trend mm-hmm. for a tour. I bet there's going to be some kind of eras type of theming for other bands going forward because she's just like blown up. That now. Yeah. So money, money, money. <laughs> yes. Uh, good for her. Well, good for her. You know, pretty good for her. I've been All looking right, for a on. nice. I've been looking for a nice concert. Uh, if I ever get okay. a chance, I probably would like to see a nice concert sometime in the future. Nice. It will be interesting to go through his records through time, but you know, yeah, it is what it is. We'll, we'll figure if there's something that we can do for that. Right. Right. I'm a. I'm a. Ra- I'm a. Ra- my brother calls me a rapidy rap rap kind of guy because I like <laughs> rap rap. <laughs> I so, don't even know what that means, but <laughs> it means like you like rap, rap, rap. So you know, rap is like multiple genres, right? Within yeah. rap, it's like you can have soul, you can have you know lyricism, you can have lyrical rappers, you can have rappers who who are vibe rappers, uh, lo-fi rappers. There are all sorts of rappers, but I like the rapidly rap raps, which uh, which includes rappers like Nas and Jay Z, who seem to be taking stuff like Black Thought. Uh, they they want to be saying something in their rap, which is not all about like, oh, I got money. Check it out. The cars, the girls, the clubs, the cocaine, uh, and the weed. You know, and they're rappers yeah. who do more than that. So it's interesting. All right. Let's, let's get into this film. Right, right, right. Uh, Pass of Glory. So a Stanley Kubrick film. And I was very surprised. Have you ever heard of this movie before kind of embarking on this journey? Yes, I have. I oh, had, okay. but I'd never seen it. I'd never right. seen it. And I've always said, like, um, Christopher Nolan always wants to copy the epic nature of Stanley Kubrick films, but he never succeeds. Um, go on. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I was really surprised because I think everybody that collected DVDs for a while is familiar with that classic Stanley Kubrick box, right, that has, like, mm-hmm. his his showcase movies. And I kind of feel like that's that's the main introduction to Kubrick that a lot of people got from kind of our generation. And it doesn't have this movie in there. I think it starts with Barry Lyndon uh, onwards. And I'm really surprised why. Because... Probably because he was just... banned in France. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, th- I do have questions about a lot of the setup of this and kind of why he chose the things he did. But um, before we go there, we should figure out if I'm uh, bringing up the good ones or the bad ones. <laughs> so let's flip a coin. All right. What's it going to be? I'm going to go with Ed's. Ed's. Okay. Um... Okay, I'll go with uh, I'll go with I'll go with uh, I'll, I'll, I'll argue for the film. All right, for the film that is uh, to get everybody up to speed, though, let's hear a quick synopsis. 
Paths of Glory is a 1957 war film directed by Stanley Kubrick. Set during World War I, the movie tells the harrowing story of a group of French soldiers who are court-martialed for cowardice after a failed and suicidal attack. Colonel Dax, played by Kirk Douglas, is tasked with defending the accused soldiers, even though he knows the charges are unjust. The film explores themes of military bureaucracy, the dehumanizing effects of war, and the moral dilemmas faced by those in authority. And there we are. So I'll be talking against this movie. And here we go. The witness will address this court as judge or your honor. Your honor, Passive Glory, a World War I movie, probably anti-World War I. And we are now seeing a movie from the perspective of France and not the perspective of Germany. And it seems like that's... That's the first time we are doing that. Oftentimes, there's there's been other movies, uh, like All Quiet on the Western Front, that are showing us the opposite side of things. But interesting enough, they show us basically the same movie and basically the same story. So, um, since this came out in 57, and All Quiet on the Western Front before this, like the original, not the Netflix version... I really do wonder how much Kubrick lifted from from that film. Because it seems like we have a lot of scenes and a lot of elements of, of the trench warfare that is is just a direct copy. You know, we we have the moments with the flares coming coming up. We have um you know just kind of the general kind of um depravity of war. And kind of, you know, critique on on it's all cannon fodder, and we just do it for the sake of doing it. Um, only that the perspective has changed, but the outcome is is not different. Uh, and I guess in a in a positive note, that's what makes it an anti war film, right? Whatever side you're on, uh, the outcome is still a lose. Uh, you know, you you still kind of lose in this whole equation, uh, especially if you're kind of in the trenches, uh, because there's no way really to win. And so, where where does this get us? Right, we we have a movie that, despite it being the different perspective on the war, is not really telling a different story. And then it shifts halfway through into this pseudo pseudo courtroom drama but it's not really because there's no real trial uh, everything is pretty much predetermined whatever Kirk Douglas is doing is just happening he's just trying to do the right motions but but he has no chance because of hierarchy and saving face and all that said I, I'm, I'm just left wondering what are we supposed to be doing with this as an audience? Um, yes, the takeaways are war, the First World War is bad. Second one is if people start, people in leadership roles start uh, putting their own agenda in front of like what's best for, for the country, that's bad. Okay. Granted, yes, right? Um but I kind of feel like it's missing, missing like the, the 
the final touches of kind of bringing that message home. And that's kind of my main critique of this. Like, I think it's it's pretty on the nose what it tries to do, but it's not really sticking the landing. And uh, that's that's where I'm going with this. So this movie, um, I'm going to go in the positive direction, is a movie about the realities of being a military soldier in the grip of World War One. But this movie is also a timeless film because it shows that decisions are made at the top uh, by people who are self-interested. Um, and while the soldiers are out there um, struggling and trying to uh, move one mile or one kilometer or one meter in the trenches. The generals are having balls and dancing in their offices, making decisions about things they don't have a comprehension about. This movie's message is very uh, sharp. It says, it's an anti-military message that says that don't die for the people who don't care about you. Um, and it's basically saying uh, the movie portrays all the military actors as cannon fodder uh, for their own ambitions. And I think that this idea was so strong that this movie was banned in France till 1975. It was banned in Spain um, till Franco's death in 1986. Until date, this movie is banned from view in any U.S. military campus. Uh, because it says it could ins- it could inspire insubordination in uh, unhappy soldiers. So this movie has a timeless timeless message, um, and I think that the director used a very sympathetic story about an impossible action by a, uh, a some regiments in the war to portray the level of corruption that exists in the France arm, French army. And after the impossible action was taken and people chose their, their own well-being, they were punished by the military um, and sentenced to death. So there's no win-win situation in this. Um, and I think that the movie does a good job of portraying the level of corruption that you get in the military. So I think that the movie's story, the, the, the lessons it's trying to share are very poignant. Um, and I think that the director did a great job of, you know, being thorough in pushing the direction he wants people to understand. Interesting. So, I mean, w- when you said that it's, it was a band of France, I can only imagine, right? Like if, if you see this movie, it, it doesn't feel like it's war of French versus Germany. It's more, it, it, it comes off as Britain versus Germany, which this mm. is not, right? So, so like one of the questions I had immediately when I watched this was like, okay, why are we not doing a better job at trying to make this a French versus Germany conflict? Um, I, th- I think you can, you, you can talk a lot about uniforms and all that, but it's black and white. So it's kind of hard to, to understand that. And uh, that it's supposed to be French soldiers. And like, I think in, in history, we have not seen a lot of, uh, a lot of French battle scenes to kind of understand the visual distinction of uniforms uh, for French soldiers versus like British or German. Right. So 
I think it's kind of failing in that. And I, I, I think it would have been a little more successful or would have been a little more understandable if uh, this was French, like really told from a French perspective. But I also understand 50s, late 50s, you know, a movie with subtitles probably will not have the broader appeal. Um, however, I think that would have gotten the French people on board. <laughs> um, you're saying that it's banned to be shown on a military basis uh, for insubordination fears. Uh, interesting thought. I do believe. I do believe that this story is just another example of a story where you know I, I where we have characters that gain personally and and whatever happens to the people below. Right, so you can put that on a battlefield. You can put that in an office setting. You can put that wherever, basically, right? And and it, it's kind of a cliche in a way. It's just more depraved because it's a battle scene and you have actual people kind of dying for your sins, right? Um, does it make a compelling movie? I don't know. I mean, it's 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 just making it more more point and i guess that you know just send people to die or bomb your own trenches right and like whatever because i want to get the promotion like do whatever needs to happen and i'm the boss so if you don't do this you're gonna be shot tomorrow is that entertaining not really i think movies predominantly are there to entertain secondly are there to to be thought-provoking but I'm not sure that the thoughts that are provoked with this movie are necessarily the ones that were intended to be provoked, right? So, mm. especially from a lens of of like 70 years later. So yeah, it's it it was really quite fascinating for me because I, having seen All Quiet on the Western Front twice fairly recently. Uh, there's so many similarities and so many shots that are so similar that really made me think of like why are World War One movies that? Because it seems like there's not many movies that, that play in that war. But but the aesthetic like the aesthetics, the shots, the challenges are all the same. Yeah, I find that odd. I find it really odd, uh, and it seems like it's like the 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 theaters of battles um, should be different enough that you you could kind of play with difference of of sets and you know challenges, but they don't do that. So I, I I'm just kind of confused about World War One. I, I guess it's it's just not we're we're being told the same story from different angles with the same outcome. And I find that kind of strange. I think that World War One was probably at a crossroads between the old way of doing war and the new way of doing war. And what eventually ended up happening was people eventually just dug trenches and stayed there. Um, the act of moving forward from a trench became a little bit more difficult in time. Um, and those runs usually led to a lot of deaths. Uh, so World War One has been categorized as one of those really muddy wars 
where people, a lot of people died from, you know, uh, gas inhalation uh, because of the poisonous gases they used. Um, but World War One just got mired in trenches, on and because of that reality, what you call it, a lot of the stories are quite similar, and I think everybody had a similar method of doing war in those times. Um, I think World War Two makes for more cinematic stories, uh, yep. generally because you get the running soldiers, people running through cities, and all of those stuffs. It makes for better um, cinematic glory, I guess. Um, but I do think that uh, World War One, by virtue of the fact that its main um, characteristics are the trenches, the mud, the gas, um, people storming trenches, it it gets uh, overplayed very quickly. But I will say that this movie has some things going for it. I thought that the character of Colonel Dax was incredible. Um, one of the things that you would have to say um, about uh, the way he commanded the scene in almost every single scene he was in um, was that he was effective. Uh, I mean... I think one of the things that you can definitely um, give him props for, especially in the scene where he stood up to the officer uh, at the end of the film and the officer, um, what do you call it, asked him about um, if he was doing what he was doing because he felt like he could get a promotion into the mayor, uh, the mayor, uh, the general who was going to go for, uh, uh, for an inquisition. Um, and he said, no, I'm not interested in that. I'm I'm doing this because I care about my men. And the guy comes and says, I'm very disappointed in you, um, son. And they had a little bit of a tissy about that too. Um, but I, at no point did I buy that he was doing it for clout. He was doing it because he cared about his men. Um, and the scene where he goes um, over the trenches with his men um, goes through the whole explosions and um, the gunfire, which sounded weird to me. Uh, but my 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 wife told me like, "Hey, you know, those are called sprayed bullets or something." And I was like, "Huh? Okay, I didn't know about that, but sure, I'll take it." Um, but I felt like the mood, the scenes, um, the action was enough to justify. Uh, the view that they were in World War One, and they didn't stay too long in that because they moved into the court case. And I found myself getting angrier and angrier um, as the court case wore on because they never gave, um, what do you call it, uh, Kirk Douglas the opportunity to respond or, or should I say Colonel Dax, an opportunity to, what do you call it, um, protect his team as well as he could. And I think that that is probably the reason why this movie, because it, you you gain some resentment towards the army because it was so effectively done. The level of, what do you call it? Suppression of expectations and the suppression of messaging and suppression of, of the people's rights to defend themselves was so effectively done. And all the courses in there from the pastor or the Catholic priest to all the soldiers, to the one who uh, double-crossed him um, the other night and then sent him to his death to protect himself. 
there was a lot a lot of self dealing going on, and you eventually got to get to realize like yo, these people are just humans too, and effectively, I felt like the movie did a good job of portraying that message, and you know I was like, I can't imagine them playing this film in military areas, and that's how I got to see that. It was banned in France, banned in Spain, banned in the U.S. military because the movie was effective in showing um, a sort of classism that ex- exists in the military today, which is which exists by necessity, to be sure. But I think that it went overboard in those days. Hmm. I, I, I wonder if it's... Is the critique for the, for the military, like... <laughs> As a whole, though, or is it for individuals and power? And that's kind of the, the the bigger question, right? Because it's like, is is the critique here that we critique the the power structures and the incentive to um, get a better rank through big moves, despite the cost? Right, but you have to do some some bigger moves, and you move up in rank. Um, so 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 your personal benefit, like because at the end of the day, right, what this basically is is just a movie about people doing bad things in order to be promoted. What whatever the consequences may be below, and whatever the 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 flags that are raised for like, but everybody will die. Um, you know, and 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 it's like, well, I I don't care about that. We need to do this for the greater of the country or whatever, right? But that's not the real reason. We need to do this because I'm going to get a promotion if this happens. So the question is, is are we supposed to critique the individuals here and their motivations, or the um, incentive structure behind them that sets them up to do this? Or even a a step further, should we take a step back and um, kind of call the whole military corrupt because um, strategic direction of goals may or may not be that strategic because the incentive is wrong. Does it make sense? So I'm I'm kind of confused of Mm -hmm. like, how are we, are we supposed to, take this because i'm taking it as we have a bunch of individuals here that are empowered that want to gain further power and the the Douglas character is questioned and kind of perceived to be one of those as well but he's not right so he's like the true patriotic uh idealistic idealistic soldier right um versus the the corrupted one but so are we supposed to think that once you hit like general level, you get corrupted, like the and the system corrupts you, and you don't care what happens? I don't know. That's where I think this this gets a little fuzzy and doesn't really stick the landing. Hmm. I mean, when I think about this movie, I view this movie as a metaphor in some senses for reality, um, but I also view it as a uh, yes, yeah, like a metaphor for reality in some senses. I think the unique nature of the military, the fact that you are able to kill somebody for disagreeing with you, 
raises the stakes significantly than any other thing that we could find. So you can't find a story that is going to be able to, you can't find this in the corporate world, for example. Um, this is unique to the military and how did we use the powers of the military to uh, suppress people from doing what they want to do? Uh, um, in some senses, that is true. But I also can see your point where you mentioned like, hey, is this a, is this a critique on the whole society? If you remove the concept of the stakes, sure. I think that the military is unique for the fact that insubordination could lead to your death. Um, or should I say egregious insubordination could lead to your death. Uh, all the other forms are not as militaristic as that. So your your expectation for drama or the consequences for your actions will be significantly lower. So people can quit at any time. I don't think you can quit the military if you wanted to, at least at that point. Yeah, but I think like that mock trial that that we're morphing into, right, where the where the outcome is pre predisposed, and like any any attempt of questioning and and trying to to make it a fair trial is squashed down. Like I think uh, if if you're confronted with people in power, there's always that kind of element, right? You you are more often disadvantaged of speaking up and kind of pointing out the inconsistencies and unfairness of things. And that will more often than not hurt you versus um, bringing people on your side. Right. So I think the, the, the there's similarities there, right? Like I, 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 one example from from kind of the work culture world, right? It's like the the happiness surveys that that get sent out periodically to people of like, hey, please fill out your satisfaction with the company. Uh, it's totally anonymous, right? But that's kind of a sham. It's not really anonymous. Like if your managers know you and how you're right, like people can can figure out who you are, right? So so then it goes into the, this whole question of like, if I'm being honest and kind of really point out flaws, will they come back to, hide, uh, to, to haunt me? Right? Because there is a way for people to figure out that, that, that there's a conceivable way for people to figure out that it was me. And same happened here, right? Kirk Douglas tried hard to save these people. What is he left with? He's going, him and his whole um, battalions being sent back to the front. Right. And and he understands that more likely than not, that means death. Right. So him speaking up turned out to be somewhat of a conceivable death sentence. So it's like, again, like what, what's the moral? Do not speak up. Do not question your authorities. I'd have a problem with that. Right. Because mm. like as, as a society, we cannot grow if we don't, if we take everything for granted and if we kind of cannot have the dialogue of like, well, maybe this is not, maybe this isn't the right way to do this. You know, maybe there's, mm -hmm. so yeah, I don't, it, the, the framing device of war is, is interesting because it's conceivably raising the stakes where people may die uh, because of your actions and your selfishness. But as a, as an allegory and, and kind of in the, the non-war world, it still holds up 
and the consequences are not death, but the consequences are conceivable. But then I'm not sure if I really buy the the critique here and the message. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good. I don't have much more to add about this film. Okay. I'm willing to go into the uh... sidebar. Overruled. Sidebar. Guilty. Speculation. Hearsay. Bailiff. Briefcase. Disregard. In my chamber. Stop Beaver on the witness. Arrest. We could totally be lawyers. Sidebar. <laughs> Pass or glory. Yeah. All quiet on the Western Front, France edition. <laughs> like I said, like some of uh, these shots are uh, really, and like the elements in the shots are, are like frame for frame. It's it's wild, and that that must have just been like every battlefield in 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 that mm. war. Um, wild, really wild. Like all the trenches look the same too. Like be it a German trench or a French. French trench, you would think that some of the design elements are a little different. The the um, like architecture, engineering of of that, maybe mm -hmm. a little different from from country to country. But it seemed like it wasn't. I don't know much about all you know, that, but it just kind of felt. You know, what do you think? It was uh, Part of Glory was filmed in Bavaria. Oh, <laughs> well, there you go, uh, Schlesheim Palace in Munich. Okay. So I don't know where all the Western Front film was shot, um, but it could have some German sensibilities. Uh, let me see. Where was uh, All Quiet on the Western Front was filmed in the Czech Republic. But I don't know if that's the new one. Yeah. No, that's the new one. Uh, the old one was uh, was filmed in Los Angeles. So, <laughs> so it was filmed at Irving Ranch near Santa Ro Santa Ana, Route Four Five in Orange County, Los Angeles. So, yeah, there's no there's no similarity whatsoever between the two films' locations. I thought that All Quiet on the Western Front was filmed in Germany, so maybe they had some sensibilities that were... But no, 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 no. Uh, this American film was filmed in Germany, and that German film was filmed in Los Angeles. Great job. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I would... Th there's photographs and, and, and whatnot of this, right? And I would, I would think there's probably also some kind of um, engineer drawings of, of, like, trench setups and all that. So I, I, I guarantee that if you know when production design hit for both the this movie and like the following movies that we mentioned um they draw from the same set of uh documentation around that war and uh, i suspect that's mm. how we got to to kind of a very similar feel um because it's just the the source material is there and probably somewhat limited but still i found that odd um and also it made me wonder because like the it seems like the the direction of of advancing kind of visually is is always left to right which i guess that's that's kind of forward moving mm. but um you know if if we tell a story from two perspectives 
technically you would think that one of them is going right to left and the other one is going left to right, right? To kind of signify the perspective. Yeah. But yeah. So I don't know. It, it, I enjoyed this movie. I thought it was interesting. I think it's kind of a whiplash because it's it's two different movies. Right? We have the the ward portion and we have the the court portion. Uh, we have the court portion. Um, I feel like the court portion could have been fleshed out a little more. And if there was a remake, uh, we probably would frame this with the court portion and then kind of do flashback stuff, right? Like with every every defendant, we would kind of flashback to what actually happened, and then going back and just kind of show the the unfairness of it all that way, you know, in a show don't tell kind of kind of thing. Um, but I suspect that narrative device was not really thought of in the fifties. That's that's more of a modern thing, it seems like. Um, but overall, I mean, it's 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 enjoyable. I think it's not that big of a surprise that it's not a huge um entry in stanley kubrick's uh kind of movie backlog it feels like it's always kind of disregarded but i don't know what do you think um the things you didn't like about this i don't don't think there's much i didn't like honestly i mean i do agree with you that the uh the it's okay it's a balanced thing right the court scenes could have been fleshed out a little bit more but that means that this movie would have been longer did this movie need to be longer i don't think so um there were some scenes of overacting obviously this is 1950s the acting standard so it didn't feel natural um some screaming some shouting but there were also some scenes where it seemed like they were right on the target. Like like I said, you know, um, Kirk Douglas going through that war scene still blows my mind. They were able to achieve it. The movie still holds up till today. I think that, you know, for what it was trying to do, I think the movie still holds up. Um, I think that uh, there's some level of naivete that comes with the main character, Kirk Douglas, that, you know, you have to overlook. There's no way he's gotten to that point without uh, some knowledge of some of the things that he got to see. But then he acted so naive when he was confronted with the idea. It's about my men. Uh, not necessarily. Uh, you make... I don't want to say that. Uh, it's, it's, it, it's a little bit naive for him to say all of that. Um, but I think the movie was still effective. I've, I have a caveat that I've, I've always been a big fan of Stanley Kubrick. I love, I've loved almost every film he's made. Um, so this should come as no surprise that I'm a big fan of this one. Um, and I always feel like he does a good job of telling an epic story, but this one was very, um, very, uh, the scope was not as huge as most of the Stanley Kubrick films we saw later. Um, like, you know, um, Barry Lyndon, which, whose scope is just mind blowing. Um, so yeah, I'm a big fan of this film. Does it deserve, I think it deserves to be higher on our list, mostly because it has a stronger, more poignant message. 
than a lot of the anti-war films that we saw. But I also understand why it's not, um, given the controversy. Yeah, but Go on. like if 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 we think about Stanley Kubrick, this is the first entry of Stanley Kubrick in the list that we've talked about, if I'm not mistaken. And then I'm wondering yeah. why, why? Like you you have these other super iconic movies, like 2001, like Clockwork Orange, like uh, The Shining, right? Um, yeah, like uh, the Strange are... Love. Yeah, that is so like iconic. And, and like, yeah. why is this one the one that that is the first entry? And I don't fully get it because I don't think it's as good as his other his later works. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I mean, as, I, if it's go ahead. if there's anything we can take is that the IMDb top two fifty is a very weird list. Yeah, I. <laughs> it's a very weird list. I don't understand how. Um, some of the movies that we're seeing later, I don't understand how Casablanca is so low. I don't understand why this movie is higher than even maybe A Clockwork Orange or even Barry Lyndon or more importantly, Spartacus. Because I think Spartacus is probably Stanley Kubrick's magnum opus or Full Metal Jacket. Um, yeah. But I... I think that the IMDb 250 is flawed. Uh, and I think that's where the whole thing is. I mean, Oppenheimer popped into the list. Um, does it deserve? Well, I'm not going to go into that one. Um, but I, I, I think that the IMDb top 250 is flawed generally. Um, and the, I think if you think about it from that perspective, um, you probably would be able to brush through some of the reasons why some of these things are not don't seem correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- there is one scene that's stuck with me, and you know, again, if if you kind of take this more as a um, tale of toxic work culture, uh, it, it kind of gets even funnier if you think, and you know, and like, and, and talking about the scene where the um, I don't even know what his rank is, like the the dude that. That wants everybody to die. Um, was he the general? He was not the general. Mm. Yeah, it was the general, Miss Miss Joe. Miss. Yeah, I remember. Like he was calling the uh, the strike on the camp front, and then when he gets called out for it, he goes, well, "I would never do such a thing." No, no, no. That means not at him. Yeah, that. Yeah, you know, him, but but not that scene. Um, yeah, General Poulard, I guess. Yeah. Okay, let me go back to that. Uh, so, a scene about toxic work culture, and the the scene where where the general is going through the trench and talks to random soldiers, and it's like. Good morning. You're ready to kill some Germans, right? And then just kind of war. Oh. <laughs> and we see that three uh, yeah, times. I remember that scene. And like we see like different yeah. stages of of just PTSD in the in in the people, and I'm just thinking of mm-hmm. like somebody like Elon Musk walking through the Twitter floor, and is like, "Good morning, ready to be hardcore today?" And you know, people are just like, "Yes, yes, sir," right? And they're just kind of trying to suck up to, um, 
in various degrees of PTSD of the of the past months. And like as a as a as a movie about like if if you take it as that, right? A critique on on just power structure in general, if you if you go through like toxic relationships or toxic work culture, um, that was a scene that was very poignant, right? Because it's just kind of the the uh, illusion of oh, I care for my people. I'm so approachable, and I talk to my people, uh, and they can they can you know show me how how much they're into this whole thing. Um, mm. But it's all so inherently fake and bad, right? And we see one of them is is being basically uh, like taken out of service, but not for the reasons that he should have been taken out of service. <laughs> Right, like severe PTSD, but but uh, because he was not giving the right answers. So there's a lot to unpack there if you want to go there with that lens. Uh, if if we just go from a from a military lens again, I just feel like it's it's a little too unfocused in the decisions that are being made are made by individuals for personal gain, and you could take it as the whole military is corrupt, but I'm not entirely sure that was the intention. Because we're seeing individuals trying to gain, so I, I'm just lacking kind of focus and kind of more clarity on that personally. Mm. Okay. I I like I said I I saw uh, the message as being quite clear, but I can accept I can I can accept your perspective on it. Cool. Well, next up, you already mentioned. Uh, there's a movie that snuck up on us and it's not Barbie for whatever reason <laughs> it's the it's the other movie of, of uh, meme culture at this point the other the other half of Babenheimer Oppenheimer Oppenheimer made it into 36th place currently but uh, we will talk about that in the next one until then, though, where can people find us? You find us on Twitter, on Facebook, on uh, Instagram, on at Movie Mistrial. Or they can send us an email at... Uh, contact at MovieMistrial.com. All, All right, right, guys. Everybody, have a good, good day. Stay out of the trenches. <laughs>